chapter 13. I'm gonna, and I'm going to read from Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. That was a, I said it this morning, I'll say it again, powerful teaching that went forward this morning. And uh, it ministered to me in a powerful way. And, and Pastor, he talked about a tree that the Lord cursed. And I, I want to talk about a tree that the Lord uh, mentions in a parable here. Luke chapter 13 and verse 6. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it. And did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why, this is powerful right here, why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. I want to speak on this subject tonight. The opposite of greatness. Jesus, we magnify your name. We give you all the thanks, Lord. We magnify your name. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth undeterred, Jesus. Lord, let the word that you've spoken to me and spoken to my heart and into my life not only minister to me, but minister to those under the sound of my voice and let their hearts be open to receive it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Unbeknownst to you, I've actually preached a, a three-part mini-series. <laughs> I preached a message titled, Sentenced to Greatness. And I preached a message on the spirit of excuses. But now I want to talk about the opposite of greatness. There's a lot of things in life that have opposites. Pastor talked this morning about using a shoe. And how many of y'all raise your hand that you've used a, a shoe as a hammer? And that is a rough place. Y'all have, have been a place I haven't been. But I, I, uh, I admire you shoe hammering people. Uh, <laughs> But when you think of a shoe, what automatically comes to mind as its opposite? I mean, as, excuse me, as a hammer. Man, I'm getting all, my, my Bob the Builder skills are out the window now. <laughs> when you think of a hammer, what do you think as its opposite? A nail. When you think of fire, what do you think as its opposite? Water. When you think of sky, what do you think of as its opposite? Ground. So it, just about everything has an opposite. There's, there's uh, only about one thing, actually, that I can think of that doesn't have an opposite, and that is God. God doesn't have an opposite. Uh, some, uh, when I was a kid, I used to, you know, they would ask this question, I'd say, the devil! But the devil, he's, he's no match. That's not even the same playing field. If there were potentially anything that could, that I might place close to being an opposite of God, it's... It, the devil's mother-in-law sin. But even that, even that's no opposite for God. But I was, I, I want to pose a word to you, and it's, the title is up there, The Opposite of Greatness. And just uh, 
out of curiosity, I'm curious, what do you think the opposite of greatness is? Anybody want to throw out some words? Failure. Okay. Sorrow. Man, I like our young people throwing out stuff. That's good. Complacency. Those are all good. Those are all good. And I want to, something, something that comes, I think I've said it here before, but I, uh, failure is oftentimes associated with people. But the way, we, the way the Lord teaches us to view people, success and failure are not words that we can use to describe people, just their choices. My, I have a friend. Um, he's, uh, you, a lot of you have actually met him, Coulter. And uh, Coulter is one of the last of a dying breed of all-American men. He, was, he is probably the only millennial that I know that was intentional, actually, only millennial I've ever heard of in this country that was intentionally born at home. And Coulter is, uh, uh, he's a fifth Native American. He is, a, I believe it's a 10th Cherokee and a 10th uh, Shawnee Indian. Um, and the only way that you can tell, there's only two ways that you can tell that Coulter's Native because to the outward appearance, the, the untrained eye, he looks like a strapping uh, Scandinavian or Germanic uh, a young man of a German American ancestry or Scandinavian American ancestry, but there are two ways that you know that Coulter is a native, and that is his middle name is Red Cloud. And the other indication that Coulter is a Native American, I've worked on a lot of reservations with the church, and uh, how many of you have ever encountered uh, Native Americans? Now, aside from their complexion, there's something very unique about Native Americans, and that is the fact that they do not grow hair on most of their body. You, never, you don't see Native American men with beards, and that's because they, they, they just are not prone to growing hair. And that is the second way that you can tell that Coulter is Native American, because that dude is 20, he's the same age as me, 26 years old, and he does not have a hair under his armpit. <laughs> He does not have a hair on his chest, and he was so proud. He showed Winston and I, oh, we've been, I've known Coulter for almost 20 years now, and we've been calling him a naked mole rat since we met him. <laughs> but the poor guy, he's got, he's got literally, not even two, one little whisker. And he was so proud when we saw him last, he said, I finally started shaving. <laughs> oh. It was all, we always thought it was humorous. My mother would tell you, it's not that I'm a, a, like an extremely hairy person. I'm, a, I'm pretty hairy, but it was the fact that I have always been very hairy. I remember in kindergarten, the kids used to tease me and call me Wolfman because as much hair as I have on my arms right now and my legs, that's how much hair I had on me when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> I kid you not. I came out looking like, what were those little, th- the, the little fuzzy things they sold at McDonald's back? Furbies. I looked like a Furby when I came out, <laughs> minus the beak. But I say all that to say this. I was at my first camp in Indiana. I, I, what year did I, I was maybe 10, 11? Eight. eight. My goodness, this is worse than I thought. <laughs> and the first year I was ever at camp, there was this girl, that Winston and a good friend of mine that we still keep in touch with to this day, Matt Claudio. 
And Winston and Matt Claudio, they had eyes for this young lady. Her name was Alexa. Alexa White. And man, they, they, were, they were forever wrestling in the, in the, uh, the dorms. They'd say, no, no, Alexa's going to be mine. And he'd say, no, Alexa's going to be mine. And they were wrestling. And they'd be arm wrestling at the cafeteria table. If you beat me, uh, you get to take her. <laughs> We're, I mean, we're knee-high to a grasshopper. We don't even know nothing about ourselves, let alone Alexa. But I remember uh, that they liked her so much. And the funny thing was, she didn't like them. She liked me. <laughs> but I could not stand Alexa. <laughs> and I remember one day we were out. We were all, all, a big group of us, we were playing, and hey, I got to tell you this, this is how much Winston liked Alexa. We, my grandfather, Bishop, he had just got a brand new golf cart to cruise around the campground on, and, and he was, and Bishop, he takes very good care of things. I mean, he's, out, he's cleaning, he's waxing it. I'm thinking, waxing it? It's a golf, golf cart, but he's out there waxing, tech, checking air pressure on the tire. Oh, man, he was into it. Anyways. He, we finally talk him into letting, hey, let us take the golf cart out on the campground and have a little fun. Well, Winston was driving, and he saw Alexa driving another golf cart. And if he didn't take a beeline straight through the, the playground equipment and rip the roof right off of that thing, <laughs> driving through the swing set. My, yes, my grandmother... The things that happened to us, I can't even utter over this pulpit. <laughs> Some of you have only heard of Chinese water torture. I've lived it. No. That's how, that's how much these guys like the Lexa. Anyway, so we were all at a volleyball court in the... We were playing volleyball or just hitting the ball around. And Alexa looked at me and she said, Jesse, she said, you got potential. She said, but you really need to shave that mustache. <laughs> I told you, I've been hairy since I was a little kid. I, I, don't, I, I didn't even know I had a mustache. And, and I'm thinking, potential? offensive. I want to I talk on this subject. The opposite of greatness is not failure. The opposite of greatness is potential. The opposite of greatness is potential. I told you I spoke on... Um, uh, a, a mini-series, unbeknownst to you, I talked about sentence to greatness and the spirit of excuses, but I want to talk about greatness's antonym, potential. There are two primary inhibitors from potential becoming realized greatness. And depending on your personality, you're inevitably going to face one of these two. We each are prone to different things. The minister... He talked about at men's conference how uh, he doesn't face the same problems I face. There's different things lurking at our door, he said, because we have different problems. But each of us will encounter one of these two based off of our personality. 
And those two things are either excuse or ambition. You will either be prone to excuses or you will be prone to ambition. And ambition is generally considered, I would think, a good word in our society. But in the kingdom, ambition can destroy you. Why do I say that? When you are baptized by water submission into the name of Jesus Christ, and you take on his name, and you are filled with his spirit, you are no longer your own. You're bought with a price. And the nature of ambition does not fit within your new mission. There is no room for your desires in God's plan. Now, it says he'll give, us the abund- he'll, he'll give us the desires of our heart. He knows our hearts. And yes, he will bless you along the way. But your personal ambitions have no place in the kingdom. Neither do excuses have place in the kingdom. Because when you are bought, you no longer have the luxury of choosing what you would like to do. We have several men in here that were in the service. If you were in the service, if you would raise your hand, please. I thank you for your service. We honor you. Uh, But you will all concur with me that when you join the service, you are no longer blessed with the privilege of getting to choose what to do. Yeah, <laughs> or keep your hair, or actually anything for that matter. Brother Moore, they would tell you when to get up, when to go to sleep, when to shower, when to eat, how to eat, how fast to eat, when to go to the bathroom. You're not your own man. You don't have the luxury of making your own decisions. You don't even have the luxury of dreams. They don't care. You are currently government property. An asset. And when you enter the kingdom, you become a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry to break it to you, but if you thought you were a pivotal key to this thing moving, I've got bad news. Jesus doesn't need us. He definitely doesn't need me. And he doesn't need you to keep this thing going. We don't have the luxury of excuses. And we don't have the luxury of ambition. As a noun... Potential is defined as latent qualities or abilities that may be developed and laid, uh, lead to future success or usefulness. As an adjective, having or showing the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. Simply put, potential is unrealized greatness. And I think we have failed to capture what potential is because since the time you were about 10 years old, potential has failed to be a compliment 
and has become an insult. If someone comes to me at uh, 26 years old and I recognize I'm still, I'm young. But if they tell me at 26 that, hey, you got a lot of potential, that's not a compliment. That's an insult. That means I am living a life of unrealized greatness. And we read this portion of scripture here. And we realize that the man that owned this garden, that owned this vineyard, he planted trees specifically because he realized this type of tree, when taken proper care of, has the potential to generate fruit. And that's how he made his livelihood. And that's how he paid those who worked for him. It's a simple, simple calculation of potential plus a little care equals a product. But he said, I've come out here for three years now. I've invested time. I've invested money. I've invested energy. I've invested my life force. I've risked my assets. This is my livelihood. And three times I've made the trip to come out here. And three times I've found absolutely nothing to show for what I've invested in this tree. Now, cut it down. Potential. And notice what the scripture says there. I thought that was so incredible. That the Lord includes in his parable, he says, that the man said, it's not even worth the dirt that it's planted in. That's, what he, that's essentially what he's saying when he said, why does it consume this dirt? Why does it take up this plot of ground? Do we all realize what the tree is symbolic of? Throughout scripture, the tree is symbolic of us. As believers, there's many different analogies of, uh, of an unrepentant tree. This is one of them, being chopped down and thrown into the fire. We all have potential, but are we all living a life of realized potential, which is defined as greatness. And if we are not, then there are only one of two things that's holding us back. And that is either an excuse or ambition. Are y'all with me? Amen. We were having fun, then y'all got real quiet on me. <laughs> the only gateway to greatness in the kingdom of God See, this is why the church kind of gets it twisted sometimes. Because in 21st century America, this democratic republic that we live in, people, they honor ambition. They want ambitious people. People that are going to shoot for the stars. And don't get me wrong. I believe in the secular world, we, there are things that you should be ambitious about. And I don't want you to... To create this ideology in your mind where ambition is this, uh, this voodoo child that you don't want to go near. Bad juju around, around ambition. Um, that's not what I'm trying to say. But I'm saying in the kingdom, 
There's no place for that ambition. The gateway to greatness in the kingdom is servitude. Joseph is possibly one of the greatest examples of greatness in the scripture. But do you realize that where a lot of people in the scripture, even though maybe, uh, maybe for example, they were uh, cowardly, but they had some giftings, or they were, uh, they were liars, but they had some giftings, uh, or they were cheats, but they had some giftings, or, you know, Abraham, he would uh, pass his wife off as his sister every now and then, but he had some giftings. I went through, and the only real gifting I can find that Joseph had was his ability to receive dreams and interpret those dreams. Other than that, he wasn't really multi-gifted. He didn't have all these inherent natural skills. Do you know what Joseph was really good at? Even better than his dreaming? Even better than his interpretation of dreams? Everywhere that Joseph went... He made himself indispensable. And do you know what it takes, what skill it takes to become indispensable in the ministry that you're in? Absolutely nothing but hard work. And that is why anybody, anybody in this room can be great. You might say, oh, I've only got one gift. I've only got one real great. That's fine. I'll tell you what you can do. You can work really hard. I wish I had an amen. amen. You can work really hard at whatever you are doing. And you say, Lord, I don't have a lot of gifts. I don't have a lot of abilities. I wish I did. Trust me. I wish I could get up here like Brother Puckett and play instruments backhanded and sound like a Christian Van Halen. I do. I, do, I truly do. When I was a kid, I used to pray, Lord, let me be really awesome at music. Never happened. I also prayed, Lord, let me be really tall, like my kid brothers. <laughs> Please, Lord, just let me catch up with my little brothers. Yeah, never happened. The Lord, he did promise me I would grow, but I'm starting to think it's going to be this way instead of this way. Or maybe I'll just claim the spiritual growth and do away with outward and upward. God doesn't need ultra-talented, multi-gifted people to succeed. He just needs people who are going to work hard. Anyone can just work hard. Anyone can become indispensable in their ministry. I, I, we were talking to the young, the young people over here. We have a new sword bearers program. And uh, I'm thankful for what God is doing in the development of ministries here at Oak Park Pentecostals. We have young min new young ministers giving the announcements. We have new young ministers in training. We have new ushers. We have new worship team members. Man, we're, things are just blowing up. And we were talking about, I'm going uh, to teach you the number one tool in a pastor's arsenal. If you want to start a church anywhere, there's going to be this thing and then there's going to be prayer. But the first tool you need to learn how to master 
is going to be a toilet brush. <laughs> because this, this man right here, and I know, I've been watching him very closely for 26 years now. Very closely. And there is not a tool in the cleaning arsenal. I kid you not. There's nobody that can put some checks in a carpet like this guy. There's nobody that can clean a toilet like that. I know, you don't want to hear that about all that. That's not, that's not the glorious stuff behind pastoring. God doesn't need ta insanely talented people. He just needs people that are going to work hard and make themselves indispensable. If I'm the janitor, I'm going to be the best janitor. If I'm going to be a sword bearer, I'm going to be the best sword bearer. If I'm going to be a Sunday school teacher, nobody's going to out-teach me. If I'm going to be an outreach director, nobody's going to be in the streets more than me. If I'm going to be an usher, nobody's going to do it more thankfully and more willing than me. If I'm going to be a greeter, nobody's going to do it with a smile better than me. The Lord, He doesn't need talented people. He doesn't need your gifts. He gave you those gifts. He just needs people that will work hard. I always ask people, I, we interview a lot of people, unfortunately, in the educational community. There's quite a bit of turnover, but uh, I've had the opportunity to interview, uh, I don't know, maybe close to 100 people now since I started with Oak Park Early Learning. Obviously, we didn't hire all of them. but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always ask people, are you smart? Or do you work hard? And can I tell you, it, I, I just asked that just out of curiosity, kind of gauge their personality. But the people that say they're smart, inevitably, they don't last very long. Because they think, I've got these skills. i got these giftings and abilities. But you know, the people that tell me, you know, I'm really not that smart. I just work hard. You know what? All of them are still with us. And that's reflective of the kingdom. He doesn't need the most talented. In fact, if you look through scripture, God usually shies away from people like that. He's hunting down the Gideons. He's hunting down the Moses. The murderer. Mind you why he was on the backside of the desert able to see a burning bush. He was a killer. His stepfather was on the hunt for him. I, we already talked about Abraham. Just quite frankly, that's cowardice. Passing your wife off as your sister so you don't get iced. Cowardice. That's the type of guy that we take out on the men's trip and we jump him in and we beat the man into him. Oh, just... <laughs> We, actually, I'm kidding. We won't beat him. We'll just take him down to the altar. But before we do, we'll definitely haze him with that spray that Brother Moore's got. <laughs> oh, no. Joseph never would have realized 
the ability to just make himself indispensable if he just made excuses. But that wasn't Joseph's problem. His character flaw wasn't excuses. His character flaw was ambition. He struggled with ambition. He had these dreams. And dad, uh, you're going to bow down to me. And all my, my brothers and my sisters, my mother, they're all going to bow down to me. I'm going to be this great star. Ambition. But the gifts that Joseph had, God gave them to him. And the dreams that Joseph had, God gave them to him. God said, that's me. The you is the ambition. The wellspring of your pride. Don't worry, I've got a solution for that. God had to rid him of his own fleshly ambitions and through pain allow the potential to be realized as greatness. He was just potential when he was hanging out with his brothers. But when he emerged out of the prison cell to become the second most powerful man on the planet, that potential had become realized as greatness. And the only thing that was in his way, and I know it seems sometimes I, I've read the story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I was meditating on this and God, wouldn't it just be easier if we could just throw out the excuses and I'll just set aside my ambition and, you know, we can skip straight to Pasco, collect $200. That's not how life works, though. God's got to take those fleshly desires from us. And even though we say, yeah, we give them up, it took years in prison, took years in bondage to rip that ambition out of Joseph. Moses never could have led God's people if he was ambitious, but that wasn't his problem. It wasn't his character flaw. It was excuses. We, we, each of us only struggles with, it's, it's one or the other. You're going to have the, you're going to struggle with excuses. You'll be able to think of 20 reasons why you can't do what pastors ask you to do. Little job. You'll be able to find 20 reasons. Or you'll be able to find 20 reasons why you're too good for that job. You're either going to struggle with excuses or ambition. That's the nature of the beast. And by beast, I'm referring simply to the flesh that we have to live in. It was excuses, and God had to break Moses. And you know what? Even after he'd worked on him a little, he's on the backside of the desert, still he gave excuses. Do you know why Moses... Why Moses didn't go into the land that God had promised him? He had a little problem. Maybe the excuses weren't expressed verbally. But he had a little problem where he could justify things in his own mind's eye. I know this is what God said, but I'll just... I'll just uh, that what I'm doing seems justifiable. I'll do it my way. 
God still buried him. God loved Moses. But I think everyone can agree that the fullness of Moses' greatness was never completely realized because the flaw chased him down to the very end. We're only going to struggle with one or two things. Excuses or ambition. My grandfather always used to say, we do it when I'd whine, because he'd take me over to the house that he had there in Tequesta. I remember this one time we were drilling a hole through a center block wall, and we started first thing in the morning, and we weren't gifted with the luxury of power tools. And it was, uh, there, I don't know why this particular wall was so thick, but it was. And uh, all day long, I held a chisel and turned it while he struck it with a big hammer. And it was a time or two that I wanted to quit because he had pinched my finger between the end of that, <laughs> that stake and a 10-pound sledge. And you can only imagine that that is slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> I said, I told him once or twice, Poppy. I call him Poppy. Well, I called him, call him Poppy when I was a kid. I still call him Poppy because I'm still, I feel, compared to him, I'm still just a kid. <laughs> I said, Poppy, I can't do this. And he'd give me his catchphrase. Can't never did anything. And man, he came from a, he was cut from a different cloth. And I'd say, okay, back to it because couldn't tell Poppy no. Had to, had to just cowboy up. But he'd always say, can't, never did anything. And in regards to ambition, I was, there's a story I like to read. How many of you have heard of Leo Tolstoy? Yeah, he's a pretty prolific writer, but he wrote a short story, and it was titled, How Much Land Does a Man Need? How Much Land Does a Man Need? And he talks about this farmer, and this farmer, he had a little bit of land, a couple acres, and he's planting crops, and, but he would always see these other farmers. They had huge, huge farms. He said, man, if... If I could have a big farm like that, even the devil would fear me. Man, if I had that kind of land. And one day, one of his buddies came along and said, hey, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple, uh, there's a family down the way a little bit. They own a ton of property. But, you know, they're, they're pretty much a bunch of idiots. That none of their elevators go all the way to the top. He said, if you go down there and offer them a couple bucks, I bet they'll jump on it. So he's like, man. Sounds like a great opportunity. So he went down there, and he gets down, and sure enough, it's just a bunch of simpletons, and they own all this land. And he said, Brother Moore, he said, uh, hey, how much would you, how much would you uh, uh, take for all this land? He said, well, we'll give it to you for free. He said, I'll tell you what, you just set off in this direction, and as much area as you can encompass on foot, I'll give it to you. And so he's he said, man, that's a great deal. He said, come back tomorrow morning. We'll start. You'll have the whole day. You just got to make it back by sundown. And he said, man, this is great. So he came. He came. He was all prehydrated, and he had his pre-workout, and he had his little, his little uh, jogging pants on and his little fitted Under Armour shirt. He said, I'm going to, and he started off. He said, man, I'm just going to head out this way. And he was walking and walking. There was so much land, and the land was beautiful. 
It was be- Brother Bruce, we were talking about some beautiful land the other day. It had nice big trees on it. Man, this one had all kinds of trees. And so he started walking. He's encompassing the... He's, he's just going to go and go and go and go and go. And he's walking and three or four hours in, he said, maybe I better cut over a little bit this way. I can see a nice, I can see a nice river uh, with a waterfall over that. Ooh, that looks beautiful. And he keeps going and then he sees something off to his left. And so he cuts over and, man, I can't miss out on this opportunity. Look at all this good land over here. And he, so he cuts off and he's, he's, he's uh, encompassing as much as he possibly can. And then he sees something else. Oh, man, I can't, can't miss that. So he, he runs over here, and he, he's going to encompass this bit of land. And he, he realizes, oh, my word, it's way past lunch. It's getting into the afternoon. So he really starts booking. But he sees something else. Oh, I can't pass that up. So he skirts around it real quick, and then he gets back on the trail, headed back. And the sun is, the sun is coming down, and he can see, he can see off in the distance Oh, there they are. I'm almost there. And he hasn't ate all day. And he hasn't drank all day. And he's exhausted. But he can see him. So he throws the last little bit of energy on. And he's, he's making his way in. He's almost there. He is almost to the farmers. And he is reduced to nothing but a, a crawl. If I can just make it, I caught him. Look at how much I've encompassed. I've taken it from these simpletons, Brother Ham. I'm going to have all this land. Even the devil's going to fear me. And he's almost back. And he crawls in. And as he stumbles past the finish line, collapses. And the chief of this little group says, Wow, look at all. He must have encompassed a great amount of land. Said, write out the paperwork. Get the deed ready. And they went to roll him over to ask him, Can you, you, are you going to be able to sign the piece of paper right now? Are you going to be able to sign the deed? And when they rolled him over, that good old boy was dead. And the chieftain of the tribe said, Okay, you know what to do. And they went to a little field. And there was a lot of crosses in this little field. And they dug a little hole about six feet long, about three and a half feet wide. Just shallow enough to lay him in there and cover him up with dirt. And Leo Tolstoy asked, how much land does a man need? Just enough to bury him. Just enough to bury him. See, ambition and excuses... They work just like that in the kingdom. There's no place for them. Psalm 1 and 3. David, a man after God's own heart, he knew the importance of being a good tree. That's why he mentioned it in the very first chapter within three verses of opening his psalm. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season, his leaf. Also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I'm going to close, but I want to tell you a story about three little trees. We've been talking about trees a lot. There was three little trees. They were up on a hill. They were all proud trees, fir trees. They looked beautiful, immaculate. 
not, never damaged by a storm. Fire had never touched their bases. They were beautiful, and you could see them way out off on the hilltop. And the three trees were talking one day, and they said, man, the, the first he said, one day somebody's going to come for me, and they're going to chop me down, and they're going to turn me into a, a mighty sea voyaging ship. And I'm going to cross the oceans and go to distant lands. He was ambitious, had big dreams for himself. And the other said, you know, that doesn't seem like me. I'm a little nervous about the oceans and, and doing big stuff like that. You know, that's not really me. I, I don't, I'm not really, I'm a, I'm a tree just like all the other trees. You know, I, I'm just trying to blend in. I, I'm not, a, no, 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 I don't want to do anything big like that. When they cut me down, I just want them to craft me into a beautiful box. See, this tree had a problem with excuses. Didn't want to, didn't want to do. He, said, I, he wants to do what, what he wanted to do and anything big kind of, no, 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 no. That, that's not within my realm. It's not within my expertise. And then the third tree, he said, you know, I, I hear what you're both saying. You know, it'll be a beautiful chest and it'll be a beautiful sea voyaging ship. He said, but me, when people look at me, I just, I just want them to think of God. Lord, I want to do whatever you want me to do. That's what the third tree said. And one day, uh, three men come, and they've got axes, and they're sharpening their axes, and they're talking amongst themselves. And the one says, I'm going to take this tree. It's the ambitious tree. So he cuts them down. And the other said, uh, you know, this looks like a good tree for my uh, purposes. And he cuts the tree down. That was the excuse tree. And the third guy, he, he was a little rougher. Some of them, they had used nice saws and nice axes, but this third guy, he had a dull axe, and he didn't, didn't seem to care much how he was chopping the tree up. And this is the tree that said, I want to do anything you want me to do, Lord. And all three trees got chopped down, and they're taken down the mountain. And the ambitious tree, he's taken to a shipyard. He said, oh, thank you, Lord. Exactly what I always wanted be turned into this beautiful sea voyaging ship, massive ship, powerful, breaking through the waves. And they chopped him up and turned him into a little skiff, little fishing boat, kind of rickety, not very well crafted, not able to hand anything more than a slight gale out on the lake. And the Second tree, the one that had a problem with excuses. He wanted to be crafted into a beautiful chest. Well, he was taken down, and the carpenter starts to work on him and starts to form him into, man, I am, I'm going to be a, a beautiful chest. Exactly what I always wanted to be. But as the carpenter got in, he's, he found all these knots. See, all the worry of having to do something outside of what they wanted to do, outside of the comfort zone, had caused this tree to grow all these knots. And the wood was contorted and difficult to work with. And the carpenter said, oh, I know what I can use this one for. And he shaped him into a chest, all right. Shaped him into a feed trough. And where the excuse tree had guarded itself for all these years to make sure it was, went right into where 
it thought it needed to be. All that worry had caused its wood to distort. Now all it was good for was a feed box. And the third tree, the one that was handled roughly, it was also taken down to the carpenter's house. And this one was handled more roughly than the rest. And the tree thought to itself, for what purpose have I been intended? Because the the strokes were rough. They were careless. The carpenter, he was in a rush. No care to the intricacy of the way the wood was laid out. Nothing was squared. Nothing was teed. No lines were drawn. It was rough. And he was split in two. And he was made into a cross. And on that tree, Jesus Christ was hung. And that is exactly like you and I. There's only three types of people. Ones that will make excuses. Ones that will allow their ambition to get the best of them. And ones that will say, Lord, those all sound great. I am a little scared. I don't know if I, I want to be a seafaring vessel, and, but it does sound exciting. I would like to do great things. But at the end of the day, that individual just says, but all the excuses aside, and everything I want aside, Lord, I just want to do what you want me to do. And when they see me, God, all I want them to see is you. That is the tree that will be crafted into a symbol that is representative of God. That is the tree that God can craft to his liking and for his uses and for his purpose. We are all called to greatness. We are all sentenced to greatness, but if we allow ambition or if we allow excuses to stymie the potential that God has placed in us, we will never become anything more than precisely that potential. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life of greatness. And it's not how the world defines it. They define it precisely as that. Make excuses where you need to. To get to the goals that you want to achieve. Be ambitious. Do whatever it takes to get to the top. But in the kingdom, the Lord says, I just need some servants who are going to work hard. And when I ask them to do something... They simply say, yes, I don't understand, but yes. And when I give them a gift, they use it. And not just when they want to use it, but whenever he calls you to use it. And you say, Lord, I don't want to just be potential. I want to be great. And the only way that we can do that is that if we rise up and we say, Lord, I'm going to serve you however you would have me 
to serve you. And every time something comes to my lips, and you know when you're making an excuse because you got to fumble for it. you got to think, oh, man. There's a little phrase that I would like you to learn. I learned it many years ago, and it's helped me a lot overcome excuses. And it just goes like this, I'm down. It's a millennial phrase. But if you learn this phrase, it will help you. Every time someone asks you to do something, just say, I'm down. I'm down. I'm down. It's easy to throw away excuses when you only give yourself one option. I'm down. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Pastor says, this toilet brush is yours. There are many like it, but this one is yours. May I have another? And you're in there dual wielding. They don't make, exactly, paintbrush. They don't make servants like that anymore. <laughs> maybe that, if, if I'm down is a little too millennial for you, then maybe you could just try, thank you, may I have another? <laughs> if you all will stand with me. The opposite of greatness is potential. When you started your life in Christ Jesus, Brother Grace and I, we were just talking about this earlier in the week. The beautiful thing about living a life in Christ is we're not subject to the things that go on in the secular world. The scripture says in the writings of Paul the Apostle that there's neither bond nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. What he is trying to say there is nobody has a head start. Nobody's special. When you enlist in this army, you're just like everybody else, a sinner saved by grace. You all, we all start with the same amount of potential whether or not we allow that potential to be realized as greatness is up to us but there are only one of two things that you will have to battle excuses or ambition and I want to ask you today I ask myself when I was praying about this message, what do I struggle with? And as I've relayed to you, I, I'm down. I don't think I struggle with the spirit of excuses, if I could be very transparent with you. For myself, it's ambition. My fleshly desire to, to be great in a carnal aspect of the word. But each and every one of us has to ask ourselves, Am I truly living a life of completely 100% realized greatness? And the answer is nobody in here is living a life of 100% realized greatness because 
If you were, they would write a book about you and it would go like this. You were not, for God took you. Nobody is, real, is living a life of 100% realized greatness. And that means we are struggling with either one of two things. Excuses or ambition. And I want you to ask yourself right now, what am I struggling with? Is it excuses or is it my ambition? And if you can be honest with yourself, and if you can say, I know, me, it's excuses, or me, it's ambition, or me, it's a little bit of both. If you can acknowledge that, and then you can come up here and you can say, Lord, I'm just like everybody else. I got one of these problems, but Lord, I don't want to be like everybody else in the sense that I allow those to control me. I want to do whatever you want me to do. I think the most phenomenal part about the life of Abraham is that he started his missions journey at a very young age. And I'm being sarcastic because he was quite elderly when he started out. And sometimes the Lord approached him with some things and he had to chuckle to himself. Say, there's, there's no way, Lord. His wife had to chuckle a couple times. You know, Lord, I recognize you created the whole life thing, but there's a couple fundamental flaws with me at the age of 90, having children. A little couple technicalities there that I'd like to break down for you if you got a couple minutes that you can spare. Whatever God has envisioned you to do, whatever God has called you to do, it's not too late for you to step into a life of greatness. But it starts with saying, Lord, excuses are my problem. Or Lord, ambition is my problem. But tonight, I'm going to take that and I'm going to place it in my hands and I'm going to pour it out at this altar. And once I poured it out of me, Lord, I want you to pour into me your desires. If you'll pray with me, and then I'm going to invite you to come. There are many of us that have been in this walk for quite some time. I myself am even experiencing the 17th birthday of my infilling with the Holy Ghost. There are many of us who are seasoned, but no one is exempt. And I pray that you would allow the Lord to move on you. Work on your heart and that you would be willing to offer up what is not of Him that is in you and allow him to replace what was there with what he has for you Jesus I prayed earlier today Lord I said turn all the stony hearts to powder 
And our hearts may not be hard, God. But we just heard a message this, this weekend where the minister admonished us that we can be asleep with our eyes wide open. We can be living for you and be, as Brother Moore said, damaged goods. We can be calloused. But God, I pray that you would come in and that you would work on me, God. And I pray that I would have the courage to surrender those things to you. Lord, you know I've been doing this a long time and I'm set in my ways. But I pray that I would have the strength to open myself up and allow the master surgeon to work on me. These altars are open. I pray that you would have the strength to tear that out of yourself. 